0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, the founder and CEO of Cannabis Marketing Association. And you can find me on Instagram at lebuff and Twitter at lebuff 21 Whether you're new to this space or an experienced professional, Party Like a Marketer has something for you. Today's conversation features Drew Peterson, director of the west coast for mni targeted media drew is a recognized leader in online advertising strategy with over 10 years of experience working with some of the most reputable names in media including time fortune cnn money and mni targeted media his commitment to success and unparalleled tenacity has directly corresponded to his rapid rise at time inc meredith he was awarded the prestigious times salesperson of the year and Time Inc. Chairman's Award winner in 2015. After several successful years as a media seller, Drew was promoted to management at MI in 2016, where he was instrumental in enhancing MI's footprint from Seattle to San Diego. Consistent with his ability to recognize new markets, Drew is now at the forefront of MI's growing cannabis business and an advocate of its Canabex exchange. He is a graduate of Arizona State University. welcome everybody to today's episode of Party Like a Marketer, the podcast dedicated to cannabis marketing, public relations, and authentic storytelling produced by the Cannabis Marketing Association. I'm your host, Lisa Buffo, and today's guest is Drew Peterson, the Director of the West for MNI Targeted Media. Drew, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me, Lisa. I'm uh, excited to be here.
0: Of course. Well, could you first start off by telling, um, telling our guests about yourself? Where are you calling from? You know, who's Drew? And tell us about m as well.
1: Yeah. So uh, today I'm calling from San Francisco, California, here in the Bay Area. Uh, my name is Drew Peterson. I'm the director of the West Coast for m Targeted Media. Um, and and we're a team of audience strategists um, spread out all across the country. We've got uh, about 1,200 digital clients that we work with annually, um, and between those clients, we serve about 7.4 billion impressions a year. So um, we are the targeted advertising division of Meredith Corporation, and Meredith is the largest publisher on the planet.
0: Awesome. And you are, can you just specify what you mean when you say audience specialist?
1: So, so audience strategist. So Strategist. You know, so what we really excel in is hyper-targeted media when it comes to um, digital and magazines. So one example I like to give, uh, say, Wells Fargo, for example. They've got about 37 campaigns that they run every year. Um, One of those might be a checking account campaign. And they're not going to come to us for their checking account campaign because you can target. uh, It's really adults 18 plus. It's not as targeted. Uh, There's a lot of vendors out there that do that where Wells Fargo does use us is their wealth investment management division, where you've got to target individuals with 14 million plus in investable assets. That's a really hard uh, niche audience to find online. And that's something that we do to help out a brand like that from a national perspective. So that's one microcosm of you know, why you might turn to m and for some kind of hyper-targeted initiative.
0: So you help connect the brand or the client with their ideal buyer persona in print and online.
1: Exactly. And it's all about, you know, defining that medium and serving that ad at the right time in the right environment to get that user to take a pre-desired action. So whether that's native and spending time with a piece of content or, you know, driving cart checkouts, new member acquisition, or maybe it's mass amounts of highly qualified site traffic to one of these brands that just got a really great e-commerce experience built out for them. So a slew of what we do, but it's all hyper-focused on every campaign and everything we do is custom built by campaign for each advertiser.
0: Awesome. So I'd like to get into that a little bit more. And your website mentions the benefits of using multiple data points to analyze and build your brand. And we talk about using data. um, And we even say at CMA that we serve data-driven marketers, right? It's sort of the core of everything that we're doing. Um, so, how has this strategy helped grow the cannabis industry that we know today? Cannabis is obviously a startup industry, and so we're filled with startup entrepreneurs and startup brands um, who often have limited marketing budgets. So, mm-hmm. you know, how has using these data points helped grow the industry and these brands? Um, and how do you see that shaping the future over the next few years?
1: Absolutely. So, um, really, when it comes to multiple data points, the always Always a place I like to start is talking about market research right, and syndicated data. So where we always start when we custom build each one of these plans is with premium syndicated market research. And we've actually got access to over $500,000 worth of every syndicated market tool you can possibly imagine. So you've got Nielsen, Comscore. Um, we've even got Mintel reports, MRI. So we're using leading data to really define our media plan before we even build it out. So we're going to identify those media consumption habits. And as we know, um, you know that, that greatly differs if you're looking to target, say, a millennial mom or possibly women 55 plus, or maybe that's that kind of active male who's at the gym. Um, so a lot of different targeting tactics that will go into this, but it starts with the research and identifying those media consumption habits.
0: And do you, just to follow up on that, do you also, so you take the syndicated data, this consumer research that's out there. Do you also work with a company's internal business intelligence and match it up say like a brand's point of sale system um or help understand you know help them understand who their buyer personas are with that information or kind of work the way you had just mentioned
1: so totally it definitely goes both ways um it's funny you bring that up because i was literally just doing this yesterday with uh the largest delivery app in california um and we're taking a look at their sales data so one thing we're doing in that perspective and there's a lot we do with this data but just as one example, um, oftentimes when we're focused on conversions and cart checkouts through the app, a lot of times we'll drive users to that cart checkout experience. Um, a good amount of them will convert, but there's also that percentage of users that gets to the cart, drops a couple items in their baskets and pre-rolls, maybe some flour, but then they don't actually make the purchase. So we work back with the brands, their POS sales data, to then serve a custom message to those that didn't convert with maybe some kind of say 35% off deal when previously it was a 25% off to further facilitate and bolster those conversions.
0: So you, help, you also do retargeting?
1: Absolutely, yep. And I've got a lot um, in terms of data points and retargeting. Um, one of the biggest conversion drivers on every campaign we run and to go back to your initial question about you know, multiple data points and how that really helps grow the industry. One of the biggest conversion drivers on the online space is with um, our artificial intelligence modeling pixel that we call the aim pixel. Now, ultimately what this does is we're all familiar with you know site retargeting and retargeting within advertising. But what the aim pixel does is it's a cookie list pixel that's placed on the advertiser's site, also on the checkout button or maybe that cart and what we're doing is we're extracting insights from all of these users that have been driven to your page that are already interacting with your brand, making purchases. And then the coolest thing is we're actually able to build out lookalike targeting based on all of these different segments that the aim pixel is pulling from and that, Allows you to expand on the audience that you know is converting. And on any given campaign where we've got the aim pixel, we're driving about 80% of our conversions through that pixel alone and all of the insights we're able to extract from that kind of technology.
0: It's cookie-less. So it's a cookie. uh, but yeah. it does the same, it has the same effect where it's able to see where you're going and you know yeah. what you're doing and, and retarget based
1: on that. Exactly, so it's a it's cookie cookieless pixel, and this pixel is also placed on tens of thousands of other sites. So when that user comes on and makes a conversion, we're extracting insights such as, which websites did they spend time on before they came to your site? Where did they go after? Are they spending time on pop culture sites, sports sites, weather sites. Um, so we're looking at the kind of context that they're doing. We're looking at what mediums are they on? Are they spending more time on their mobile devices versus desktop or tablet? Where are they actually converting? Maybe they might visit your site from their mobile phone, but they feel more comfortable actually making that conversion from a desktop. So the AMPixel pixel is identify um, all of these kinds of insights in order to serve you know, serve ads to the right kind of audience to further grow these brands and bolster conversions.
0: So that's interesting. So I know there's changes happening in the in the cookie world right now. So the the brands are still able to leverage that type of technology and get that insight. It's just going to look differently than it it did previously.
1: Yeah, and and you know I mean it, it was it was a big deal. Google was going to phase out all third party cookies, and now it's you know not so much of a of a pressing issue. Um, no one really knows what it's going to be. Yeah. But Regardless of whether you can use cookies or not. You know, I talked about the AIM Pixel, which is, which is a cookie list solution. Um, we actually have a proprietary deterministic solution known as data match. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know what deterministic means, a uh, loose way to think of it is that it's gonna be a cookie-free targeting solution. So we've got tons we can do with cookies, but outside of that, you can actually look into an individual cell phone through deterministic and you can look at all the different apps they have installed on their phone. And so in the cannabis space, if you're looking for a cannabis consumer, they might have an app like Weedmaps or Leafly or something like that. Um, and not only that, but they're using that app multiple times per month. So when we see a user that has multiple cannabis related apps installed, we take a look back at that in addition to the frequency of use. So that's just one way to help create a holistic picture of that consumer. Um, and then we're actually able to shop that, um, scrub that data against offline data sets as well all matched together in an individual's email address. I know I'm getting technical, um, but long story. I short,
0: follow. Yeah,
1: we've got deterministic solutions to reach advertisers, in addition to all these really cool things we're doing with uh, third-party cookies.
0: So you are able to, um, so you're able to work with brands in a few ways. Use this market research in this higher-level syndicated consumer data, but also behavioral information that um, users and customers. Are, are doing on their own phones and their own browser search. So you're able to help these brands, um, you know, both from that 5,000 foot view, but also kind of individually as far as what their customers are doing and target them appropriately.
1: Absolutely, yep. And it's, and it's really about marrying that, that, that syndicated markets data um, with all of the various tactics we can do online. So we would never build out a media plan without truly understanding that audience, where they live and where they're gonna be most likely to convert.
0: And, um, you know, without knowing that syndicated market data that you're getting, is that actually measuring folks' um, like cannabis consumption habits, or is it more kind of lifestyle demographics based?
1: Um, so I, I would say it's more the latter. It's more of that lifestyle demographics, such as, you know, what social platform are cannabis users going to be most likely to spend time on? Um, what medium between desktop, mobile, and tablet? what time of day would they tend to make these purchases? So it's more about the consumption habits overall, um, but in terms of what products they're buying and whatnot, from a third party data perspective, we've got partners that we've integrated with our cannabis DSP known as Canabex, um, that actually tap into past purchase data. So we can tell whether you're buying flour, whether you're buying pre-rolls um, or cartridges and how often you tend to purchase, what day of the week you tend to purchase So we can serve a sequence of ads leading up to that moment of purchase the next time you go into the store and get you thinking about any other given brand that you might not have purchased last time.
0: So, I mean, that sounds to be a very compelling solution for brands and retailers to be able to get that type of information where you know, in the industry is fairly new in this sense, just given that everything is done in the dispensary. Um, I know a lot has changed over the past year with COVID and now doing, you know, order ahead and curbside pickup and things like Mm -hmm. that. Um, But it really seems like something that could really power brands and retailers as they uh, move forward and and look to the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about, you know, the original question was about how these multiple data points are used to help grow a brand. I mean, we've got case studies from whether it's conversions and actual cart checkouts to a lift in site traffic. Um, there's several different KPIs that you can use this market research and these tactics to help grow. So there were really there's really no limit in terms of what we can do to help a brand in terms of their objectives.
0: And do you focus on, um, you know, one of the things we speak with brands about is there's always the constantly going after new customers, right? Who's this consumer of tomorrow? Who, who's not in that dispensary yet, but who's going to be? And mm-hmm. retargeting and um, upselling your current customers. To, so make sure that they're loyal and they're coming back. Do you work with brands on both sides of that or sort of focus on one or the other?
1: Uh, So absolutely both. Um, I, I, you know, when we're working with a lot of these large cannabis delivery apps, um, there's a very high um, lifetime value of each of these customers. So, you know, the KPI for any given campaign, you usually want to focus on one, um, but there's just as much value, I would say, in retaining those other customers, given the you know the growth of the space and all of these competitors coming in. So you really want to put a lot of dollars into retaining those customers. Um, but at the same time, we've got other tactics on the media plan that are going after these new customers. So in terms of that aim pixel we were talking about, we've got different pixels placed on these different buttons. So the insights of who's going to be a new user might look a little different than these you know, these recurring users. So we're taking all of that data to almost treat them separately to drive results for both.
0: And you just mentioned focusing on one KPI. Is there one that jumps out to you that you see the most that brands are using or one you you suggest kind of when you start working with with them?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, usually the initial objectives. Now, a lot of these brands are new to the space, right? And it's a swim time for a lot of these brands. Um, so I would say the most common objective that we see on these initial campaigns is going to be an increase in site traffic, because what we're finding, you, know, you yeah. mentioned about the difference between in dispensary buying and then buying within the e-commerce platform. A lot of brands are putting significant investments into their e-commerce platform, and especially with all the laws that are coming out now where you can actually sell directly through your e-commerce So what we're finding is there's tons of brands that are partnering with these great e-commerce companies that are really optimizing your app, creating this great mobile experience, a lot of great call to action and and data that goes into building these. But then once they get the app built, where's the traffic at? Um, And it's not just going to come organically. It's important to have that, that paid element to drive not just site traffic, but highly qualified site traffic. So I would say uh, as an initial KPI, driving qualified site traffic and CTR would definitely be the main one. Um, and then after that, once we get that site traffic built out, then we can start tracking conversions and whatnot. But that would be uh that would be the main KPI for sure.
0: And it's, you know, it kind of comes back to marketing 101. And some some folks I think see this industry or see this space as uh, you know, we're starting over, we're doing something brand new, you know, it's a new product, we got to talk to customers. And yes, that's all true. But it's still the basics of right, like knowing who's your buyer persona, knowing who your customers are, and making sure the right folks are coming to you and coming back and purchasing from you. And I'm really excited about the e-commerce type trend. Um, I know myself- yeah. Like personally as a consumer, I, like I know what I want before I go to the dispensary. So it's much easier to be able to order ahead and say, Hey, I'm out. I'm out of this. I'm just restocking. Like I'm going to the grocery and yes, sometimes I'll get upsold or I'll try something new if it, if it compels me, but um, the ability to be able to do that, I think is really powerful for the industry and just shows that the industry is, is maturing in the direction it, it folks thought it would towards that CPG e-commerce direction, um, you know, under the regulations that we have, but we're we're heading there way faster than it, it has been in years past.
1: Oh, absolutely. From a, from a personal consumer standpoint, I mean, you, you go on some of these sites and these e-commerce experiences, and it is just as robust and rich as, you know, any of these other e-commerce retailers like sporting goods stores or, you know, other retailers who are buying clothes. I mean, these websites are, are dialed in and, and totally reputable and user-friendly. So yeah, um, definitely becoming uh, a big thing and the, the brands are, are there.
0: And I even see them with like almost even better product photography where you could like zoom in and see the nug and look at the product and say like, this looks good. And I think in years past people would have thought, no, no one's not, no one's going to buy online. They want to smell it and experience it in store. But I, that doesn't seem to be the case.
1: Totally. Totally with you there.
0: And do you have any interesting data points or insights that you've seen having run these campaigns for brands that you know might have been different or jumped out at you that oh. you, you were surprised
1: by I was hoping you'd ask Lisa
0: <laughs>
1: No yeah we we we've got a, a lot of cool things we do so I I talked about you know data match and what we do from a deterministic perspective but let's spend a little time with you know what we're doing with cookies right now because that is still very much in play um, currently Currently absolutely so um so one of the one of the coolest things we're doing is actually condition based targeting so, obviously, cannabis can be used to treat uh, a few main functions, such as uh, anxiety, glycoma, maybe there's some kind of sexual health-related issue, um, and we actually have data providers that we can overlay on Cannabex to only serve ads to those with any of those kind of uh, disabilities, if you will, or you know, treatments that are needed. So, that's one really cool thing is condition-based targeting. We actually leverage a data provider known as Crossix, which is very common for a lot of, uh, you know, think of like the healthcare companies out there that want to serve in a targeted ad based on a condition. So one common question we get when we're talking about this is, oh my gosh, is this HIPAA compliant? Um, it is absolutely 100% HIPAA compliant. So that's one really cool thing we do from a condition-based uh, standpoint. Um, but there's several other things we do as well, such as we talked about the past I- per- just to
0: uh, clarify, that is for medical products, medical cannabis products, the condition-based or on the adult use side?
1: It can be on either side, good question.
0: Okay. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I just wanted to clarify. Yeah.
1: No, all good. I, I talk fast sometimes, Lisa, so you gotta hone me in over here. You're good. Um, so we've got condition-based targeting. We can also identify you know, pet owners. We know that uh, CBD for, for pet owners has been a huge deal. So we can actually identify, say, Owners of pets that live within a certain proximity of one of these dispensaries or retailers that are selling a product. So not only using the geolocation data, but we're using that in combination with this behavioral data, knowing that they own a dog. Um, So that's kind of something cool we're doing. Um, Obviously, we can do, you know, competitive conquesting for dispensaries. So if you want to go after people that are buying from your neighbors or your other competitors that are nearby, we can drop targeted geofences down to a three foot radius around each of these dispensaries. And um, we're focused on
0: three feet.
1: Yep, within within three feet. So um, and you can actually extrapolate anyone who might be working there, per se. So the bud tenders, they might be there for 40 hours a week. You don't necessarily need to serve them an ad. Um, So we can actually have the ability to strip out those based on dwell time if they're working at a dispensary and only target the consumers who are in there for, you know, five, 15 minutes picking up their, their orders. So that's something cool we're doing.
0: That's really interesting. And I could see, you know, particularly in cities or really dense environments where there's a lot of retailers. um, You know, I, I live in Denver, how that could be really powerful for them as well.
1: Absolutely. Yep. And then, and then you can track the foot traffic as well. So you can say that, hey, I stole, for example, uh, you know, 1,200 consumers from your five neighboring dispensaries over the past two months, um, and we brought them into your dispensary. So you can actually track that attribution as well from each of the dispensaries you're stealing traffic from. So that's another really cool thing.
0: And do you work mostly with brands or retailers or both?
1: Uh, it's, it's really across the board. So we work a lot client direct with the brands themselves, Um, We're working with cannabis marketing agencies that handle a collection of cannabis advertisers. Um, But I would say, you know, at least in my experience here on the West Coast, most of it has been working with the client themselves.
0: Yeah, the brand. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Um, Any other insights you have you want to share that you've learned or seen? Like, you know, anything interesting happening on the brand side? Um, Any other data points?
1: Yeah, so, um, and, and one other just really cool thing in terms of, of data points as it pertains to magazines. So we've talked a lot about yes. and how these national websites are stepping up to accept cannabis ads. Um, but in the beginning, I mentioned we're owned by, uh, by Meredith Corporation, which is the largest magazine publisher on the planet. Um, not only do we represent Meredith titles, but we represent a lot of other publishing houses and a lot of privately owned titles as well. So um, we've- Could owned- you
0: name a few just so folks get the familiarity?
1: Absolutely. Uh, Fortune Magazine, um, we represent Sports Illustrated, Time, Esquire, Men's Health, Women's Health, Cosmopolitan. And we represent these brands, not from a national standpoint, but from a targeted standpoint, whether that's geo targeted or audience targeted. Um, so, one of the, I'll give you kind of two cool examples of how we use data um, for a couple of big brands in, in cannabis and then on the CBD side. Um, so, we're all familiar with Cresco Labs, for example, right? one of the biggest names in cannabis. They actually run magazines through us. And what they did was they've got a, um, a new gummy line called Wonder Wellness, and they wanted to target consumers in Illinois because they've identified that as one of their fastest growing markets for this individual product. And we were actually able to get three magazine titles, um, I've got it written down. It was Men's Health, Women's Health, and Cosmopolitan all approved these, these ads for Wonder Wellness to run in the state of Illinois. So that's something where we took in their- print in magazines. Yeah. Full page ads in these national magazines, but they're geo-targeted to Illinois. So we're not running ads in all these states where cannabis isn't legal.
0: Interesting. So, so there's the ability to say, you know, these hundred magazines are only going to be distributed in Illinois. And even though it's the issue of Cosmo, these ones specifically have that ad.
1: Yep. Yep, and, and I, I, we're not quite at 100 yet um, getting it in, in terms of the approvals. Um, but the way that works is, is we'll get an ad. It's really important to have that created from the client up front. And then we run that creative by the titles. And what we're finding is by the week, there's more and more titles that are stepping up that are accepting these ads. So there's been a few that are more progressive than others. Um, but that's been, that's kind of what we've done from an in-book perspective.
0: So, I think the lesson here for everyone to hear is that there's more options available than there have ever been in the past as far as channels for marketing your brand and print and national print. And in these titles that were you know, previously closed to cannabis brands now are, are accepting these dollars.
1: Yep, absolutely. And then to, to stay within the, the data conversation and tie that even further to magazines, so what I just talked about for Wonder Wellness, that are, that's an in-book insertion. So it's a full page in a national magazine. Now, what's even more powerful and more impactful is that when you run what's called a cover wrap, um, and for anyone that hasn't heard of a cover wrap, it's literally wrapping the front, back, and inside covers of a national magazine with your advertisement. So what this does for advertisers is a few different things. One, you're drafting off of the trust and credibility Of some of the biggest names in publishing, so for example, Fortune Magazine, and everyone's familiar with the Fortune 500 issue, which is their tentpole issue that comes out. um, We've actually got an advertiser right now that's running. They've got a. They make CBD smokes, right? So it's a. It's not a cigarette, but it looks like a cigarette, and it's all CBD. We've seen a few of these companies hemp based CBD hemp-based CBD, exactly. Now, their primary goal of this brand is they wanna get in some of the biggest convenience stores and liquor stores in the country. Now, how do you do that? With an in-book ad that we just talked about, you can blanket any subscriber of those magazines, but these guys, they wanna go after decision-makers of convenience stores that have a certain sales volume. and, And ideally, these convenience store owners own multiple. So I'll give you Circle K, for example. We are actually targeting owners of Circle K convenience stores across the Western United States. In most cases, these owners own multiple Circle Ks and we've even overlaid data from a sales volume perspective. So we're only reaching convenience stores that do over $50 million in sales every year. So talk about data and targeting. And then we serve a series of Fortune Magazine wrapped with this advertiser's messaging to these consumers and we can reach them at home, or you can reach them at the office, and we hit them with a series of magazines in order to get that conversation going. Now, from a conversion perspective, if we're serving, say, a thousand of these issues to these different convenience store owners, you get one or two of these guys to buy off, and our advertiser is now shipping their carts of CBD cigarettes across the country by the train load. So that's something we can do really cool from a data perspective and tie that to magazines and a high-impact execution.
0: Well, and that's interesting because it's a that's a B2B play, but sort of through yeah. a B2C model that you would think by wrapping a magazine like that, but specifically targeting the owners of these stores.
1: Well, well said. So yeah, you know, wonder wellness, very much consumer. This one very much B2B, because similar to the way we use programmatic data to define an audience before we serve an ad, we can get just as granular and actually sometimes even more granular with our cover app execution than we can with programmatic digital because we've got so much offline data into these consumers or, you know, these B2B decision makers before we serve them a magazine. So very cool thing we do with data on that space.
0: And is that, um, would that concept apply to for, and I'm kind of shooting from the hip here, but for, um Brands trying to reach retailers who are trying to extend their wholesale distribution would be working with, um, I mean, I see magazine cannabis magazines and when I'm in the waiting room at the dispensary and I see the, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like the local ones that have the ads and they're wrapped is, are you seeing brands, cannabis brands do that?
1: Yeah. So you're talking about, you're talking about like actually in the waiting room at a dispensary and putting a magazine in there uh like
0: do, like doing the b2b play like say a brand you know my brand was trying to get into more retailers where i would actually wrap a magazine that is Thousand percent
1: Yeah. Yeah, like a- I Now I'm with you. Totally. So that so that's another thing we can do as well. Of of we've got a list. Uh we actually pulled this list with my with my marketing team and we're using it for some of our outgoing marketing um but we've got a list of all of these dispensary owners throughout the US similar to like we did for the the CBD smokes, you can target some owners that are multi-state operators or that own more than three dispensaries. So it's more of a kind of a premium uh, splash when you reach that user. So we can absolutely do that and reach dispensary owners so you can get your product on their shelves.
0: Cool, okay. So you work with you work with brands, you work on the B2B side um, and you can work targeted, local, state allied, but also national as well. Yep, nailed it. Awesome. Any other data points or things you want to bring up before we get to our next questions?
1: Um, I think I think I pretty much covered the the gamut there. Um I'll, I'm good on that front.
0: And I would say um, you know, before we before we transition, are there any like best practices or any advice you would give to a brand who would come to you and would sort of start on this more targeted journey? Like where where do you either see them coming in at um, what are they doing to get ready to be able to launch campaigns like this or where, or where do they need the most help? Like just kind of top of your head, what would be the advice you have or is there something you're, you're you always that kind of always comes up with the clients um, that you wish they knew maybe a little earlier?
1: Yeah, um, the, the one thing that comes to mind is, is, is really get your creative built out as soon as you can um, because the way the process works online and for magazines is we need to do a Q&A of that creative run it by the exchange and make sure that that's firing and getting approved so um i you know in one line i would say get your creative over to us or to you know to any vendor you might be partnering with as soon as possible in order to flag any potential issues with the creative or delivery issues so um i find oftentimes you know we'll have a campaign launching on october 1st and we get the assets on the you know the last day of september Um, and oftentimes there might not be enough time to get that ad live and you know there might sometimes there's issues or delivery issues so that's kind of the number one thing is get your creative created as soon as possible
0: that makes sense cuz it does have to get approved by the publisher and depending on where you are there might be some compliance issues to make sure it's showing the right the right imagery um and words in there
1: that yeah. makes sense
0: any um on that note any big bigger mistakes or things you see on the creative side that kind of repeatedly get pushed back
1: Um, You know, I mean, other than the standard ones, uh, you know, you can't appear to target minors, you can't have any actual uh, cannabis leaves in your creative, you can't have anyone blowing smoke. Um, So outside of those kind of general restrictions, um, you know, nothing else that we've really seen uh, get rejected. But for the most part, the brands are aware of these, you know, these guidelines and some of the kind of main things they need to stay away from. So um, we've, we've done a good job of avoiding any of those issues in the past you know, year as we've been working with these brands.
0: Yeah, that makes sense and getting out in front of it. Um, I could do a whole podcast episode just on creative and uh, the imagery that is and isn't allowed to be used, but I'll save save that one for another day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, well, I'd like to learn a little bit more about Drew um, and your own experience in cannabis, given that you've worked with all these brands and, and have been doing this um, for MNI for a while. Um, what are some lessons that you have learned in the cannabis marketing space as, as you've entered and you know, gotten, uh, gotten more comfortable?
1: Totally, um, so I, I, I've learned a ton of lessons working in the cannabis marketing space for the last three years. Um, two that come to mind, Um, So one is getting these cannabis brands into mainstream media is a massive challenge. Uh, We've been working on building out our DSP for three years and it's taken us three years to get to the point of where we're at. But um, you know, when you talk about all the other media, there's challenges with uh, SEM, you know, Google and and all these big search engines. It's a, it's a very, very delicate dance and they're just not there yet with that part of uh, you know, the search environment. Uh, Also when it comes to social really hard to keep your brand live or, or really do anything with social at this point point. and a lot of the big brands like facebook and instagram um, are shutting these down and if you're not really careful with your social well some of these brands are even getting completely shut down um so those are just two examples of mainstream media then you go over to like broadcast for example broadcast isn't accepting um any of these spots so um in out of home you used to see these billboards all over the place and you still do but here in California, if you're running a if you're running on an interstate freeway that goes into another state, brands are now being forced to forced to pull these ads down. So mainstream media has been a huge challenge, and even online was a huge challenge for these brands, um, which has taken us about three years to get 15,000 sites to step up and accept CBD and cannabis. But um, that's been one of my biggest lessons: is just the challenge for these poor brands to get into mainstream media. Um, And we're finally, you know, we're we're making moves by the day over here, but digital has really just been the the saving grace for these brands because we can get them into mainstream media, like say Vogue.com or Rolling Stone or CBS Sports. There's a lot of really premium national websites that are stepping up. So uh, that has been very encouraging.
0: And did you see a change with any of that with COVID just as everything, you know, moved online and we spent... All this time at home on our computers, did that did that have an impact on the ability to get things approved or or speed it up quicker or
1: or not so much? I wouldn't uh, I, so I wouldn't say from like the approval process that COVID really changed anything. What I would say is that the ordering process, if you've looked at any of these you know reports online, um, the orders skyrocketed during COVID. People couldn't go to the dispensary; you had to do, use a delivery app. So I feel like so that was affected. um, And because of that, more brands started turning to digital because that was the one medium to reach these consumers where they were buying mass amounts of cannabis during the pandemic. So um, not necessarily more brands stepping up or uh, websites stepping up, but the brands putting heavier dollars against this during that time when we're all stuck at home.
0: Yeah, I, was, I always thought it was funny like how in 2020 QR codes made a comeback and became like the star oh, of the year. I didn't think they were gonna ha- have I, that much longevity but they, they have been.
1: I uh, love that you just brought up yeah. QR codes. That's <laughs> actually talking about data. That's another thing we can do through magazines as well. So, you know, one of the biggest, biggest challenges was there was no attribution with the magazine space. Now we've actually got QR codes that were attaching to these magazine pages. So you have instant ROI from that page that was, you know, seen in one of these national magazines, scan the QR code, takes you right to that mobile optimized menu where you can make a purchase. So there's another cool thing. Glad you brought that up, Lisa. Wasn't even on my agenda.
0: Yeah. And everyone knows how to use them now. Um, Yeah. Now that we've ordered through QR codes for so long. So that's, that's awesome. And I I love that because I've also found print pre-COVID was a very hard thing. And in general, it can be hard to track ROI on because right. Even if you buy the magazine, are you, are you reading it, looking at it, you know, taking time Um, so that that brings that attribution element into it and makes it still a compelling channel because I some I feel like some folks have totally written off print. uh, But that gives it a little more. uh, What's the word? Just emphasis and that's something that can withstand a little bit longer. Absolutely. Um, so how important is it to make sure that your brand or business is current and are there consequences if it is not? And what I mean by that is really are staying on top of current trends that are happening, um, both in marketing and as far as consumer insights and what you're seeing at that market research level.
1: Yeah, so um the short answer to that, it is very important and uh the consequences can be extreme, if I had to put that in two words there. Um, So from our side of this, you know, from our side of the fence as a targeted marketer, where we really help out and, and, uh, you know, with uh, staying ahead of these regulations is, you know, we talk about all these state by state regulations or even, and sometimes when it comes to advertising, there's even county by county or at the municipal level, there's these specific regulations. Um, So we've actually got a uh, 2021, uh, this was just published actually yesterday. But we've got a state-by-state cannabis guideline document on mni.com slash cannabis. Um, So because it is so vital for these brands, um, we get a lot of site traffic from our cannabis offering in general. But what we're finding is that there's a huge need for these state-by-state regulations. Um, regulations, especially for these multi-state operators that um, are, you know, kind of running executions in different states. And it looks a little bit different in Michigan than it does in California. Or in Maine, for example, you can only run ads, location-based ads that are in-app versus here in California, you can run in-app in the mobile web. Um, so I think it's very important to stay ahead of those state-by-state nuances. And, um, and we've got kind of a solution to, to help our brands with that.
0: Yeah, and I would say on the extreme side, I think, um, you know, you, you can lose a market share to a competitor or you can lose, um, you know, the ability to remain competitive and on edge if you're not up to date with, I mean, not just the regulations from a compliance perspective, that's like the bottom, but also the current trends, what's happening, what's selling um, and how, what direction are consumers moving in. And right. Just to follow up on that. So when you speak with brands, um, as far as their knowledge of their own consumers and their own understanding of the macro level trends and what's happening in their business, do you feel it is, they have a way to go? Like, are you coming in and doing a lot of the education, educating as like, Hey, here's what's really going on out here. And here's your understanding of it. Or do you see that they're, they're more or less on top of
1: it? Um, I so I would say it really it depends on depends on the brand, right? For for one of the largest delivery apps in the country and definitely the largest in California, um, they are like a big sophisticated advertiser that's been around for a decade. I mean, they've got they've got their own internal market research, pretty much know what they want. Um, where we are more there to recommend the different tactics that'll make sense for this internal research they have. Um, but that's kind of a that's kind of an outlier. Most brands aren't as sophisticated as these large delivery apps that have been around for three years. Um, so for I would say ninety percent of the brands we work with from direct, they're coming to us to help identify those media consumption habits and and really you know what's the best place, time of day, time of year. Uh, to get the results we're looking for. So I'd say for the most part, they lean on us, but there are some of these brands that are are much bigger than the other ones that that have had success for a few years. Um, and so, you know, they've got a slew of information on their end.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And what are you most excited for in regards to the future of cannabis, like excited or hopeful? What, where do you see things headed?
1: Yeah. Um, so where do I see things headed? I mean, I'm I'm hoping for federal legal, legalization one of these days. Um, I, I would say personally, what I'm most hopeful for is just erasing the stigma in general. Um, from a you know personal from a personal standpoint, um, you know I've I've grown up around a family that wasn't necessarily uh, open to the whole thought of cannabis, and there's this stigma of uh, you know fast times at Ridgemont High and Spicoli living in his mom's basement over here. Um, and so what I'm most hopeful for is, you know, this growing acceptance of cannabis. Um, you see all these, there's all these CEOs and big high level executives that are running multi-million-dollar companies at peak efficiency. And, um, and I just feel like it's like kind of the mainstream uh, just idea that these, you know, if you're inhaling cannabis or, you know, a, a partaker in the product, you're not necessarily some kind of a, you know, stoner or, uh, or you know, not someone who can conduct a business. So. I just look forward to erasing the stigma. Um, and I think one of the cool things about being here and being in the targeted marketing space is I'm actually in a position to help influence that um, and change that perception. And that's through data and you know serving ads at the right time of day to the right person in that right environment to really change that perception and move the needle in terms of just increasing consumer acceptance. So that would be my biggest thing I'm excited for.
0: Yeah, I I echo that, and I I've always I love this industry because I've I found some of the most intelligent, thoughtful, highly functioning, smart, intuitive people who are running and starting businesses in this space are also heavy consumers, and they know their products really well. They know what they're talking about. They know their consumption habits. They know themselves, um, and and just interacting, and they live great you know, balanced to some degree lives um, and have a social life. And so they've totally busted the stigma while working inside the space. Um, and I always enjoy Ooh. that in, in meeting folks and hearing their stories too. Absolutely. And um, so Leslie, what is your favorite part of working in the cannabis industry?
1: Um, so I would say my favorite part of working in the industry is, you know, it's the brands and the people we get to work with. Um, so just in terms of our, you know, our everyday day-to-day interaction before cannabis came out, um, you know, here at M&I, we work with some of the biggest agencies and holding companies in the, in the country, right? And when we're working with all of these media professionals, they are deeply entrenched in the media space. So sometimes when we go into these meetings, it might be more as a, as a vendor, um, versus as when we're working with the cannabis space. We're truly going in with a seated at, at, you know, a seat at the table. And we're not just a vendor, we're a partner. And to me, what I think the coolest part is, is, you know, we're getting thank you cards or high fives for running these successful campaigns. And I used the term sink or swim earlier. You know, it's it's a it's a dire time for a lot of these brands. And, and yeah. like sometimes they have smaller budgets. It's important to go with a proven partner that has a track record of ROI, knows what they're doing, has that kind of credibility. Um, so, so to me, it's being able to actually help these brands, um, help them grow and help educate them on you know, what is programmatic, what is native, how does native fit into the greater piece of the puzzle when we're driving ROI. So to me, that's my favorite part of it is just, you know, the people we get to work with, like you said, um, a lot of uh, highly functioning people, no pun intended there. Um, But it's just, you know, it's a, it's, it's funner. It's more fun. It's more, uh, it's more laid back. It's uh, but at the same time, it's just, it's a bunch of professionals who have a job to get done and we just help them achieve ROI and grow their brands and, you know, get a hug for it. It's awesome. So that's
0: That's awesome. I I echo that. Well, Drew, is there any last, uh, anything else you want to share or say before we go and wrap up?
1: Um, I would just say, you know, just in conclusion with everything, it's just, it's very encouraging to see everything changing by the day over here, whether it's more magazines stepping up to the plate or more, you know, more websites. And because of this growing scale, what we're able to do from a data perspective Um, is getting more immense by the week over here. So it's just, it's encouraging to see the scale continue to grow. Right now we're at 15,000 websites and counting. Um, And then because of that, there's just all of this really cool technology that we're now able to do for cannabis that previously wasn't there for these advertisers. So I'd say a couple of years ago, it was basic demo targeting. Now these advertisers are able to do everything that the major national brands like Wells Fargo or Pepsi or Coca-Cola is doing. So um, to me- very encouraging with, with where the industry's heading. And, um, you know, if it's federally legal one of these days, then the sky will be the limit and all these mainstream media companies will start stepping up. So, um, that that's what I would say in conclusion, but it has just been so fun to work with these clients every day, help them grow their brands, love providing these tangible results and case studies at the end of it. So it's been, uh, an absolute whirlwind. We're moving fast over here. Um, but it's genuinely been a blast and it feels so good just to, you know, be on that other side of the table and, uh, and be a partner with a lot of these brands.
0: That's awesome. And Drew, how can folks co- contact you or connect with you? Is there a website, um, or social media or anything you, you want to share for our listeners?
1: Totally. So, um, so I would start, you know, MNI.com slash cannabis. We've got an entire pillar page built out consisting of the, you know, state by state guidelines I talked about all the case studies I've mentioned, um, you know, anything about cannabis or cannabis DSP. Um, so I would start with that. If anyone wants to get in touch with me, my email is drew drew dot Peterson, P E D E R S E N. And that's M N com.
0: Awesome. Drew, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to have you today and thank you for sharing the insights and connecting with our audience. I, I look forward to, um, talking with you soon, and hopefully seeing you in person someday.
1: Absolutely. So this is a blast. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Party Like a Marketer. Check us out on Instagram at Party like a Marketer and on our website, thecannabismarketingassociation.com, and engage with us. we love to hear from you. We'll see you next time for another episode next week.